Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello to all you wonderful wine lovers. Happy Monday. So within the wine industry, there are always winemakers who certainly changed the course of history. And I'm talking to one of them today. Now, how many of you drink Sauvignon Blanc? And how many of you drink it from Marlborough, New Zealand? Now, Sauvignon Blanc originates from France, specifically in the Loire Valley. So Sancerre and puy are the regions that will give you the best examples But Marlborough has simply created a style, an intense, pungent, aromatic way of drinking Sauvignon Blanc that has just changed the outlook of so many wine drinkers. But this style of Sauvignon Blanc only started in the 1980s and it started with a winery called Cloudy Bay. Now, many of you have probably heard of this winery. It's become pretty infamous around the world. Now, the winemaker I'm talking to, Kevin Judd, was the first winemaker of Cloudy Bay and stayed there for 25 years. Following that, he now has his own winery called Grey Wacky. We will be touching on all of it. Now, this episode, we're going to be looking at the soils, the region, certainly the history and a few of the stories behind these wineries. And then next week, we're going to look at, drumroll please, Sauvignon Blanc. So I shall make you wait till next week to talk about that. But let's look at New Zealand for a second. So New Zealand as a wine producing country is literally producing 1% of the world's wines. And within that, 70% of the vineyards are in Marlborough. So if there's going to be one wine region you know about within New Zealand, this is it. So Marlborough is in the southern island, but in the northeastern part, right by the coast. And this is a cool, windy region with amazing diurnal, so big difference between cooling nights and warm days. And it is known to be one of the sunniest places in New Zealand. It has high, high sunshine hours. So much so, the Maori people, this is the indigenous Polynesian people of New Zealand, in the Maori language, they refer to the Waiara Valley as Keputa Te Waiara, which means the place with the hole in the cloud. And that's basically what it is. And certainly that helps with those aromatics in the grapes in the Sauvignon Blanc because that UV light is penetrating those skins. Now within Marlborough, the shining star, of course, is Sauvignon Blanc, which accounts for about 85% of the plantings. But if you've never tried any of the Pinot Noir or the Chardonnay from this region, you absolutely have to. It's just getting better and better. And look out for the aromatic white grape varieties. So Riesling, Gewürztraminer, Pinot Gris, they're fantastic. Gruner Veltliner, the grape variety from Austria, seems to be doing very well, although only just a little bit planted. 
Well, as I said, Kevin is going to talk a little bit more about the regions, and there's certainly three sub-regions of Marlborough that you need to know about, and are starting to appear on some of the labels, so definitely pay attention. (laughs) Remember, there is a transcript. You can go to the show notes, and you'll see the link to download. So, grab yourself a glass of Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc, if you have one lying around, and let's go and chat with Kevin now. Kevin, I am honoured that you've given me some time to talk about your amazing wines and educate me on the world of Sauvignon Blanc and Marlborough. (laughs) (laughs) How's that? Well, you are, no, you are a Marlborough pioneer. How does that feel? Do you agree with that? It's true, but do you agree with that? (laughs) Well, I'm I'm comfortable with the word pioneer. Good. Someone called me a, what did they call me? (laughs) How dare veter- they? No. Vet- Was it nice? Vet- veteran. You're not old enough vet- to be a veteran yet, are you? Yeah, veteran annoyed me a bit. Yeah, how dare they? Let, let's stick with pioneers. Pioneers, all right. Not, <laughs> not that I was the first hit here by any means, but um, certainly. Well, actually, you weren't the first here, but should we actually just talk about that for a second? So, I mean, wouldn't Branco, obviously it was Montana at the time, they started in Marlborough in like 1973. But then after that, really, it was Cloudy Bay Winery, wasn't it? Or am I missing a whole chunk? Well, when we established Cloudy Bay, we were the fifth winery to be built or the fifth wine company to be established based in Marlborough. Okay. Yeah, so mm-hmm. at, at that time there was Montana, mm-hmm. now known as Brancourt. Yeah. There was uh, Harry Ra, which I think was the first to establish here. There was um, Hunters okay. and Sellerin. So um, And then there was and you, then well, there was, oh, and then at least Cloudy Bay. Cloudy Bay. Mm. So let's talk about your history and your journey going into being a winemaker, because let's go back to the beginning. You're originally from Southampton in England, right? Uh, yep, pretty close. You're one of us. <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly, though, you didn't go to New Zealand. You went to Australia and grew up in Adelaide. Yeah, correct. Right? Yeah. So as you were becoming a teenager, an adult, were you inspired much more about the Australian wine scene? How did you get into wine? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not, I wasn't born under, under <laughs> Do you know? I wasn't born under a grapevine. In fact, <laughs> I, when I started Rose with the Agricultural College to study winemaking, I was one of the few mm-hmm. students that really hadn't had any wine experience at all. In fact, almost zero. Winemaking was something that it just appealed to me as a, yeah, as yeah. a profession that, that sort of uh, combined the sort of scientific bent that I had in my head, but it was more of a sort of a rural agricultural focus. It was being brought up in Adelaide, going to Roseworthy was one of the things in the what you can do um, after high school mm-hmm. sort of things. Um, my father was in a related industry, in the packaging industry, and had a few contacts okay. in the wine game. and. He did, he did a lot of packaging type work for wine companies and spoke to someone and sort of got me a bit of a leg up to get into Roseworthy. But I, I must admit, mm. when I started, I knew very little about wine. I didn't, I didn't go to study wine because I deeply loved wine, to study wine because ah. I was interested in it. Okay, so then actually the love of wine came after. That's pretty interesting. So how quickly did you get over to New Zealand then? from Australia once you'd qualified? Well, I made what I worked for Shatter Ranella in South Australia, just south of Adelaide. Okay. After, McLaren Vale? And, well, it's not technically McLaren Vale. It's just north of McLaren Vale, <laughs> but it's close enough to McLaren. Okay. Well, let's call it McLaren Vale. Mm-hmm. 
And in fact, a, a lot of a lot of our fruit came from McLaren Bar. Okay. Uh huh. And um, a bloke called Jeff Merrill uh, for th- three years. In fact, I studied. Okay. One of the things you have to do in Rosewood is, is um, do a vintage in your in your third in your third year with with a company, and I managed to get mm-hmm. a position at um, Chateauella. And yeah, and then they offered me a full time job when I finished, and I was there for a couple of years, and then that company was bought by another company mm-hmm. by Hardy's actually. And my job description suddenly changed for the worse, and a few other things happened. And You're like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I thought, I'm out of here. It was exactly what I thought. So I looked around <laughs> job in Australia. Uh-huh. I think I was about 25 at the time. Mm-hmm. I had been an assistant winemaker, and I wanted more out of life. I wanted to be the winemaker. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't 25 you? 25 years old. So, yes, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Anyway, um... I applied for a few jobs in Australia and, and didn't get what I was looking for. And then, I, and then someone I knew said there's a few jobs going in New Zealand. And I, I, I knew basically about New Zealand at that time. Um, mm-hmm. But I applied for these two jobs because I figured it was a new frontier. And it, But it, probably more importantly, I, I saw it as a, a place that was um, potentially excellent for making um, climate white wine, which was my main my main interest and I applied for two jobs and I managed for one of them so I convinced Kimberly um who we just we just got married um that we'd go to New Zealand for three years that was the plan ah that's perfect you marry her and then she's like oh god now now I now I have to follow okay so that worked out well because of course she's helping you now with grey wacky so that's all worked out that story ended well right (laughs) yeah well after three years we were in fact it was it was only after about two and a half years we were a little bit despondent about um, a number of things and thinking thinking about going back to Australia and I met a guy ah. called David Honan. And that's when it changed. And that's when uh, all thing, everything changed actually. So how did Cloudy Bay come about? Had he heard about you? Um, what was the idea of Cloudy Bay? Did they have any idea it was going to become so iconic around the world? Well, that's quite a few questions. Uh, just... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the first one? <laughs> so how did it come about? David Honan won the Jimmy Watson Trophy two years in a row at Cape Mantel in Western Australia. It put him, okay. it put him, it put Cattell, it put Western Australia on the map, um, as they say. But it also mm-hmm. caught the attention of a few Kiwis and there was a, a wine conference in Perth and I think it was in 1983 and after the conference, um, a group of, uh, I think, four Kiwi winemakers, although two of them were expat Australians, but anyway, that's irrelevant. Um, <laughs> they jumped in a car. They rented a car in Perth and they and they travelled down the Margaret River to yeah, just to explore, really, well, you know, after the conference. And um, they called into Cape Mantel because this company had suddenly became, had become world famous after winning the second Jimmy Watson trophy for the Cabernet. Okay. And um, yeah. David Honan... Um, showed them around and had a chat. And anyway, after the after they when they just before they left, the one of the Kiwis went out to the rent a car and grabbed the bottle of Sauvignon the boot and gave it to David and said, "Thanks for your time, David. Um, here's a bottle of wine from where we come from." And off they went into the sunset. And that bottle of wine was ah. was uh, the bottle of wine that started Cloudy Bay. Because David was so so impressed by the the pungency and the intensity, the clarity of of the fruit that. He um, the next year he went he flew over to New Zealand to have a look around and find out where this wine was from. 
from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so funny, you hit the nail on the head, didn't you? The words pungent and intense, I mean, are just perfect words yeah. for Cloudy Bay, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Um, and so you decided to take up the challenge, probably not having any idea that it was going to be so big. Well, none of us did. When I, when I first received, I mean, because I, I was making wine up in Auckland for a company called Sealax at the time. Okay, yeah. David Honan had, had been pointed in my direction by someone. I'm still not quite mm-hmm. sure who, but I've got a fair idea. Um, <laughs> when I first tasted the fruit, the, the grapes, it was, I was just, just taken back. And I, you know, I realized mm-hmm. to someone at the time, I shouldn't be making wine, this wine. I should be selling it to the Australian. <laughs> I should, just like I'd never seen um, Sauvignon Blanc fruit like it. Tasted mm-hmm. juice like it anywhere, you know, in my experience in Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on that visit when David came over to sort of suss out where this wine had come from, he um, came to visit me and um, had a for a chat. And by that stage, he'd made the decision to set up a second wine company. He already had Cape Mattel in Western Australia and he decided to set up a, a New Zealand operation. And um, after he'd come to see me, he'd asked me lots of sort of random questions about, you know, what I did on the weekend and where I lived and stuff like that. We do it strange. And I went home <laughs> home that night. Kimberly and I were talking about going back to Australia yet again. And I said, actually, yeah. I said, I said, let's hang on a minute because I've got a funny feeling David Honan's going to offer me a job. And weeks later, the phone rang and it was David Honan offering me a job. He offered me a job to make wine for him in New Zealand. He had no land. He hadn't decided whether he was going to set up in mm-hmm. Hawke's Bay or Marlborough. Mm-hmm. And um, I accepted it on the strength of his reputation, really, on the fact that he'd won two Jim- wow. Jimmy Watsons and a few people that I uh-huh. talked to about him said he was a good bloke. So there you go. Well, seems to have worked out. Now, what was it like at Cloudy Bay for you? You know, you've become a very... <laughs> the king of Sauvignon Blanc, shall we say, was it a real journey of learning? Were there real challenges on the way? Oh, how long have we got for this chat? <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, when we started, when I accepted the job we, with David, as I say, there was no, there was. We first had to decide which district we were going to, and um, mm-hmm. it became Marlborough, and then we had to build a winery. I had to learn a thing or two about all sorts of things. Is the winery right by the Cloudy Bay, hence the name? Maybe that's a silly question. I actually don't know where the winery is based. Cloudy Bay is in the, is in the central, pretty much central spot in the middle of the, what's known as the Wairau Plains. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a big flat, mm-hmm. um, triangular alluvial floodplain known as the, mm-hmm. the sort of low of Wairau Valley or the Wairau Plains. And Cloudy Bay is the bay that's a at the mouth of that valley. And the winery is pretty close to it, presumably. Well, there are wineries that are closer, but it's... it's <laughs> <laughs> That's where it got the name from, right? It's, um, we, we talk about how long it takes to drive places in New Zealand. It's it's sort of a 15-minute um, drive from Cloudy Bay to the real Cloudy Bay. Okay, yeah. Now, talking of finishing being at Cloudy Bay, you obviously decided, I imagine... When Cloudy Bay gets so big, it probably makes things a little bit difficult to make your own decisions. I don't know if that's fair to say. Is that what maybe inspired you to set up your own winery? Well, Cloudy Bay was an amazing journey. I mean, what we started mm. um, in tooth, um, I always get my decades mixed up, in 1985, <laughs> uh, 
was a small <laughs> was essentially a small family owned business well in fact it was tiny initially yeah well not tiny tiny but it was certainly uh, a, small, a small business owned by david and his brother's company um and, mm-hmm. and, and 25 years later when i left we were um not a huge company by any means but we were certainly a medium-sized company um with, with quite a established international reputation and it was and it was an incredible journey and i feel very thankful uh, for being in the right place at the right time and being offered that opportunity. Yeah. Well, you've got the skills quite clearly as well, right? I, unfortunately, I don't think it would have been as like, iconic as it is now had you not put, you know, your magic to it, right? It, it, it wasn't all about me, but it was um, <laughs> it, it was a great journey. And, Some good uh, grapes too. We had, we had <laughs> good grapes. We had, David Brennan was a um, clever guy and very intuitive Um it was it was a journey. Big thumbs up. So, setting up Grey Wacky, how did it happen? Why did it happen? <laughs> Why? Why? I actually Why? I actually registered the name Grey Wacky in 1993. Ah, we, so you knew. We had a, you knew. Well, no, I had a um, no? Kimberly and I had a small vineyard literally down the back of Cloudy Bay. Uh, and we grew a bit of Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. And it was an extraordinarily stony part of the valley. And yeah. reading something one day, and 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 I learned that the stones were from a rock known as grey wacky. It's not mm-hmm. a New Zealand term. It's derived from the German word grauwacker. Ah, okay. And it's found all over the world. It's certainly found in parts of Ireland and Wales and Scot- mm-hmm. Scotland. It's all over the place. The Egyptians okay. carve things out of grey wacky. Anyway, I discovered that the stuff was called Grey Wacky, so I, so Kimberly and I named our vineyard Grey Wacky Vineyard in um, in the early nineties. And then this is a story that you won't hear from um, from Moet Hennessy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love a secret story. Well, it's not a secret by any means. Oh. In nineteen ninety, I employed a guy called mm-hmm. James Healy, okay. who was at Cloudy Bay for many years not as a, a winemaker, and went on to with Ivan Sutherland and to establish Dog Point. But anyway, he mm-hmm. he was keen to experiment with wild yeast, which I thought was a bit nuts but anyway <laughs> we tried it first on chardonnay and um i was we were um so impressed we as in okay. david hunter and i that we decided to start experimenting the following year in 91 actually maybe it was 92 in, in 92 we first experimented with wild yeast in sauvignon blanc mm-hmm. and we just needed a small batch of sauvignon blanc so i volunteered fruit from our own vineyard which was Grey wacky ah, vineyard, and we made right. we made this yes. batch of wine. But unlike with the Chardonnay, where we 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 started blending the wild the wild fermented component with the rest of the Chardonnay with Sauvignon Blanc. By the time we'd finished fermenting the stuff, the uh, the other Sauvignon Blanc had been blended and was already being consumed. So we had this this sort of random batch of Sauvignon Blanc that had been <laughs> fermented with wild yeast from from my from our vineyard that um, we had to work out what we we're going to do with the stuff. So we ended up bottling it and sold it through cellar door and we called it grey wacky oh yeah but this is the, the grey wacky vineyard that's now known as Tecoco no? It, yeah mm. it eventually became Tecoco but the very first one the 92 which was fruit from our vineyard yeah. we, we called it Cloudy Bay Sauvignon 1992 and then fine print grey wacky vineyard so it was a single vineyard wine so the grey wacky vineyard was actually in fine print on the front label of that early experimental Sauvignon Blanc that we made. How exciting. Now, grey wacky, so you said it's a very stony soil. What does that give to Sauvignon Blanc compared to a lot of the other kind of silty, sandy loams that 
are in Marlborough? Well, the, the, the main, the main Wairau Valley is essentially a big alluvial floodplain and mm-hmm. Grey Wacky is actually the principal bedrock of New Zealand. So, so the river stone. Okay. So, okay. There's lots of it. It's, it's, there's lots and lots and lots of it. It's, um, the, so the stones that wash down the river all the, um, are basically primarily grey wacky. And the Wairau Valley is just a big gravel pit full of you know, sandy loam with varying proportions of grey wacky river stones. Ah, do, okay. do they, does, okay. does the grey wacky influence the way the wine tastes? Yeah, I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but certainly, certainly the river stones create a very free draining soil type. As distinct from the southern yeah. valleys, where we're actually based, we're actually we're headquartered in Greywacky, and the southern valleys, which are, are sort of a number of perpendicular valleys to the Wairau, they sort of they sort mm-hmm. of run perpendicularly. <laughs> Not yeah. sure that's a word. Uh, to the south, and they're sort of renowned for more uh, clay content, which supposedly is actually finely ground um, dust that's blown down the Wairau from the glacial days. So it's a okay. windblown, okay. windblown yeah. loose clay, and it's full of gravel. But a lot of that is also grey wacky. But it's a totally different sort of structured soil. I'm not a geologist. But Southern Valley is becoming a bit more of the hotspot for Pinot Noir, isn't it? Uh, yes. Well, it's a southern, southern, so that... it's a southern valleys. So it encompasses the um, to the to the west, the Waihopai, the Omaka, which is where we're based, and then the Brancot. Mm-hmm. And then the Ben Morvan, they're the most well-known southern valleys. You could arguably include a few others, like the Taylor Valley and a few others. But collectively, they're the valleys to the south of the Wairau, and and they are, they mm-hmm. are typically um, much more clay. Even yep. even the valley floors are sort of a clay with a broken gravel, rather than um, the, mm-hmm. the Wairau, which is sort of sandy loam and the and the rounded river. Mm-hmm. And do, do you agree, though, that Pinot Noir, have I heard correctly, that Pinot Noir is doing really well in that more clay-based soils? Yes, is the short answer to that. Um, absolutely. In fact, when we... <laughs> Keep it simple. Yes. <laughs> when we when we first started um, playing around with Pinot Noir in the early days at Cloudy, at Cloudy mm-hmm. Bay, we had it growing in the stony, grey, wacky river, riverbed soils, and it really wasn't very successful. Mm-hmm. Partly because of the soils, I think. Partly because um, we had the wrong clones. Yeah, mm-hmm. I suppose the development and the learning. So we got the better clones. We got the Dijon clones, and, and we, as in Marlborough, started um, seeing um, evidence that the southern, the clay valleys of the southern va- clay soils of the southern valleys were producing superior um, Pinot Noirs, even you know back mm-hmm. thirty years ago. Mm. And and also the, the southern valleys provide some sort of hillside sites on which to grow Pinot Noir, which is also a, a benefit. So we've got hillsides and we've got clay and we've got you know much better mesoclimates for growing Pinot Noir in the southern valleys than this for a while around that. Is there more altitude in the southern valleys than in the Waiara Valley? Um, it's, yeah, yes, it's, it's, um, I, would, I would say it's fairly insignificant. Okay. So there's some hills, some slopes, but nothing really. It's not what I, I would call on. altitude. People do. do it, 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 it is technically <laughs> higher. It's in not al- Mendoza. It's, it's higher in altitude. But no, it's not. <laughs> it's no. It's not in the same league as, as what we're talking about in Mendo in the in the Mendoza region. No, but then Marlborough is not trying to be Mendoza. So we we've touched on just the southern valleys. Obviously, you've mentioned the Waiara Valley, which is 
the, the biggest and most well known. But what about the other major subregion, the Awateri Valley, which is to the which is slightly to the south? Yeah, Awateri is is the southern side of the hills, um, to the south of the Wairau. Mm-hmm. Um, most people call them the Wither Hills, but it's incorrect. It's the um, the Blairic Range separates the Awateri or the Blairic and the and the Black Birch Ranges separate the Awateri mm-hmm. and the and the Wairau. So the southern valleys are, are okay. part of the Wairau system, and then co- completely mm-hmm. separate to that, to the south, is the Awateri. And the Awateri, when David and Hona and I first grabbed a car and drove into the Awateri, there were no vineyards. There was not one vineyard anywhere. And mm, now, okay. um, the, <laughs> quite a few. <laughs> now the Awateri, if if the Awateri Valley was a separate region which it's not because it's part of Marlborough, but if it were, it would be the second biggest region in New Zealand. It's a lot bigger than Hawke's Bay. Oh, that, actually, am I correct? It's Waiara would be number one, Awatari would be number two, and then Hawke's Bay would be number three correct. if we were talking. Yeah. But, okay, yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting. So that I've now started seeing a lot more winemakers in Marlborough, obviously, writing their subregions if they're not doing full regional blends and the Awateri wines I think are actually very interesting they're um a little greener sometimes a little bit more mineral a little bit more precise they lose the more tropical yeah, that's, that's, for me I'm talking with Sauvignon Blanc in general that's absolutely correct it is a generalization but it, it is a it's, a, it's mm. a very good generalization but I have sourced some Sauvignon Blanc um in not I don't at the moment, but in recent years I have saw some from um, some really stony, beautiful stony vineyard in the upper Awateri, and it was actually quite similar to what we'd expect in the Wairau. But the low, the low, the low Awateri is definitely um, hallmarked by by what you've just said. Okay, so lower, fine, and the lower Awateri is closer to the ocean. Correct. Am I correct? Yes. Fine, and so then of course much cooler. Probably even more windier. It does get a bit more influence from the southerly, um, because the mm-hmm. the Warao is um, get the southerly influence gets slightly more diverted by the Kaikoura ranges, the inland and the seaward Kaikouras. Okay. No, I think it's really interesting. And then it, it generally, the even bud break and the harvest is a few weeks later. So it's really very, very different to the more northern Waiara Valley, right? Um yeah, well, it changes a bit from year to year. Maybe. Yeah, but <laughs> generally, it's 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 um it's like you say, yeah, generally. How would you describe then Marlborough as a climate? If somebody maritime. said, why does a maritime? Okay, what, why is it so good for growing grapes there? Um, it's, it just has a really excellent um, combination of temperature regimes. Mm-hmm. It's the 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 main influencer is climatic. I mean. Sure, okay. within that, soils are important, but soils are, I think, a much more minor part of the equation. The mm-hmm. fact, the fact that Marlborough has a, an, an extremely maritime climate, but it has a, a high level of sunshine. But think about the northern hemisphere. If you think about Marlborough and you thought and you yeah. talk latitude, what what sort of latitude do you think we're at? I mean, you may you may already know this, but the, I found it intriguing when I when the penny first dropped you'd probably instinctively think that it would be a similar latitude to somewhere through the middle of France but where is it in comparison it doesn't we're at 41 and a half and 41 and a half north doesn't even go through France it goes through the middle of Italy now that's interesting isn't it when you consider how cool a climate marble is but we're is. very cool so because and we're cool because it's maritime 
with coal because there's mm-hmm. no land mass. Mm-hmm. There is no yeah. There is no land mass. So we yeah. get in, intense sunlight. We're, you know, we're closer to the sun than the likes of um, Sancerre or or even Burgundy. Mm. So we get That's intensity of sunlight. Though. We get lots of sunlight most years, but we're also very cool because we're just completely surrounded by water. So it, it very rarely, and it is getting warm, and there's no doubt about that. So we won't go into that discussion. But um, <laughs> we have a good time. I used to we? say that it, it almost never got above thirty, and ten years ago that was probably true. But we have, you know, we we might hit thirty-two degrees, but we don't hit thirty-eight. We don't hit forty. We don't hit forty-two. Mm. So we don't get heat. Yeah. But interesting, you say about you know temperatures rising. Are you finding that vintages are very different do people need to pay attention to vintages or especially with for instance the Sauvignon Blancs and the Pinot Gris you do is it they're they're fruitier is that they can just drink whatever vintage and there's not too much variation um we still get vintage variation we get sort of different vintage Mm -hmm. variation to what we did 30 years ago then the 90s the 90s were full of extremes extraordinary extremes actually we had um in 1990 we had a minus five frost halfway through harvest that defoliated the entire valley and that was pretty extreme we had 93 (laughs) which is still the uh, coldest vintage in the history of grape growing in marlborough we had 95 which was the and i think still is the wettest ever yeah and then we had 98 which was at the time the hottest but has since been eclipsed well, do you know what? I'm kind of glad that I wasn't drinking um, wine in the 90s. Well, we made, we made some great wine. <laughs> Sounds to me like it wasn't interesting. No, we okay. made some great wine. Yeah, in the good vintages. Yeah, but it was hard work. <sighs> yeah, I can imagine. Okay, but in then the, the noughties, that decade, things got a little bit better, a little less up and down. Yeah, there's all, when, when you're in a maritime climate like this, um, on two little islands down in the South Pacific, you do get vintage, you do get climatic variations. What, what's happening now, though, is we're definitely getting warmer warmer vintages more consistent more mm-hmm. consistently but the, the thing that s- stresses me a little is the fact that they're predicting that we'll get more um, influence from the sort of south pacific cyclone type um, systems and we have seen that in okay. um, 2017 and 2018 since then we've had a good a good run but okay but now interesting you say that one of the big stories that's going around now that we all have to prepare for because people are going to be very, very upset is that we are going to run out of Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough. They think, certainly in the UK, by Christmas, we're going to be gone until you get the next vintage. So what has happened? Why are we running out of Sauvignon Blanc? (laughs) Tell us what's happened. Well, vintage 2021, there's no... You can't say it's because of this or that it's just every now and then you get vintages that don't yield as um as well as others and and people put it down mm-hmm. it's a whole bunch of things you know a little bit of damage from frost um a very very dry conditions but at the end of the day we got very small bunches we got very small berries and we got not many of any of it and um Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc crop in 2021 was somewhere in the vicinity of 25 to 30 percent down Worse than that, the Chardonnay and the, and the Pinot Noir was fifty percent down for us, and the pe- oh, Pinot Gris was sixty percent down. It was just, it was oh. just um, a whole bunch of things. Yeah, not the best uh, for running a business, is it? 
<laughs> it's frustrating. It's frustrating because you know, yeah. The, the, yeah. This time last year, we were expecting the world to come to an end with um, the pandemic. In terms of you know, you, th you think you've done well by establishing markets all over the world and you're safe from a, a market crash, but you, you're not safe from a world crash. And that's what we thought was about to happen. <laughs> but as it, as, it, mm -hmm. as it turned out, there yeah. wasn't a crash at all. And um, the world actually drank more Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> yes, we, we. it turns out, it turns out if you're celebrating or you're commiserating, you drink alcohol. <laughs> exactly. So we've got, we got, we got oh, all, all these thirsty um people around the planet drinking more than what we expected and then we get yes. slammed by a tiny vintage so unfortunately Two things don't work out so well we um we're short of wine in new zealand full stop yeah well i'm sorry that we keep on drinking it So I apologise if I am the bearer of bad news and this is the first time that you've heard of the Sauvignon Blanc drought. We must prepare ourselves soon, possibly this side of Christmas, to go cold turkey on Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc. But as you have probably already figured out, Kevin knows what he's doing with winemaking. So when there is no more of his Sauvignon Blanc, do go and check out his Pinot Gris. So that is the same grape variety as Pinot Grigio, but in a much richer, more aromatic sense. So think about a more pear, apple apricot style with that lovely kind of smoky honey edge and lovely freshness. So go and check that out. Or his Chardonnay, which is oaked, so will offer you this smoky, nutty richness with lovely ripe stone fruits. Now, make sure you come back next week so you can hear Kevin talking about his Sauvignon Blancs. After all, he did put Sauvignon Blanc on the map in New Zealand. Now, he has two Sauvignon Blancs, one with wild yeasts and some barrel aging, and then the other, as you would expect, light and fresh. So two very different styles. So I'll see you again next week. Now, before you go, it is wine quote time. And I found another from Sir Roger Scruton. So I've used one of his quotes before. He's an English philosopher and a writer. But in this one, he says, Wine is not just an object of pleasure, but an object of knowledge. And the pleasure depends on the knowledge. Now, hopefully, after just hearing a little bit more about those subregions and understanding Marlborough is a little bit more complex than you had possibly realised, you will get far more pleasure out of the wines that you are drinking. Thanks ever so much. That is it for today. If you have not subscribed on whichever podcast app you're listening to, please do that now. Share it with any of your wine-loving friends. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a review. If there's a review option on any of your apps, please do it. It all makes the podcast more discoverable. Right, well, you know where I'm going to be next week with two very delicious glasses of Savage. Blanc. So until that episode, cheers to you.